part twenty four of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain part twenty four journey to the oasis of ammon part one i left rosetta on the twentieth and arrived at benezuf on the twenty ninth of april eighteen nineteen i took with me a sicilian servant whom i hired in alexandria as my irish lad had taken the opportunity of returning to england from jerusalem with mr legg i took with me also a moorish hajj who was on his return from mecca and begged to be taken on board our boat at Gien. i thought as he was a hajj or pilgrim his company would be of some service to me and he proved very useful at benezov we procured some donkeys to take us and a little provision as far as the lake morris on the twenty ninth we set off and directed our course through a vast plain of cultivated land of corn and other products of the country this plain is all under water at the time of the inundation excepting the scattered villages which stand elevated and appear like so many islands during that time about fifteen miles from the nile the chain of mountains on the west are but low they open and form a valley into the fayum and it was at this entrance that we arrived on the first night of our journey the bar yusuf passes into the centre of this valley and enters in various serpentine directions into the fayum we took our station under some date trees near the water about two miles from the first pyramid here after a slight repast i went to sleep on my usual bed a mattress thin enough to serve as a saddle when folded up but when laid on a mat or on the ground affording as good a bed as any traveller ought to expect the sicilian servant the moorish hajj and the donkey drivers kept watch in their turn and i arranged so that this system should be observed during the whole of our journey on the thirtieth we set off before sunrise and soon arrived at the pyramid it is composed of sunburnt bricks and stands on a high ground at the foot of the hill on the northern side of the valley its basis is covered round with sand and stones out of which it arises sixty feet but its original height must have been above seventy as the top has been thrown down the basis above the sand is eighty feet i observed several large blocks of stone intermixed with brickwork so disposed as to support and strengthen the whole of the mass the bricks are twelve fourteen and sixteen inches long and five or six inches wide i ascended the pyramid and from the top could see the whole valley and the entrance into the fayum on the west at only two hours walk distance i could see the other pyramid situated on a lower ground consequently it appeared less high further to the west i saw medinet el fayum which stands on the ruins of ancient arsinoe and has a respectable appearance at a distance from this pyramid i descended towards the canal again and crossed a strong bridge on the west side of the valley we then continued along the foot of these hills till we reached the other pyramid we forded the river on donkeys to come to the west and pass over another branch of the same river which was nearly dried up at that season we entered a place six hundred feet square surrounded by high earthen dikes apparently to protect the above ground from the inundation of the canal this spot had no doubt been the seat of some ancient town of which nothing remained but a few blocks of stone and the appearance of some brickwork 
we advanced towards the pyramid and after passing a small canal which had been cut by some of the late rulers of egypt came to the foot of the pyramid i found that the basis of it is only thirty feet above the level of the water of the canal and nearly of the same size as the first it is surrounded by smaller tombs and on the south side there are the remains of an egyptian temple which must have been most magnificent of this there are to be seen only some fragments of the colours of granite and i must observe that it is the only column of that stone i had seen anywhere and that in all the temples known in the valley of the nile there are none that can boast of such grandeur there are several tombs quite in the egyptian style cut underground we quitted this place and arrived at medinet el fayum on the same evening the whole country is very fertile and interspersed with plantations of fruit trees and roses this place is celebrated for making rose-water which is sold in cairo and all over egypt for the use of the great people who continually keep their divans and other places sprinkled with it and present it also to any stranger who visits them on our approaching the town i agreed to call at the house of Husef bey the governor of the province of fayum but found he was gone to cairo however on application to his kakia bey i obtained a firman and a guide which was all i wanted and was also accommodated with a lodging in one of the rooms of the house on the morning of the thirty-first a soldier was given to me as a guide to the lake morris i set off the same day by the road leading to the northward and passed the extensive ruins of arsinoe which i reserved for inspection till my return as i intended to come back by the same route the country continued very fine and well cultivated at noon we arrived at el kassar the ruins of an ancient temple and site of a town where nothing remained but part of the walls the temple was not very extensive as may be seen by what is left of the foundation and two parts of the wall the only remains of which are composed of large blocks of stone without hieroglyphics at night we arrived at senures a village situated about ten miles from lake morris on the morning of the first of may we proceeded on our journey and after passing several groves of palm-trees and other plantations as before the view opened all at once on a wild country which gradually sloped to the edge of the lake the water extended from northeast to southwest and the mountains opposite formed an awful and sterile appearance at noon we reached the lake but could observe no trace of any living being the guide conducted us along the shore till we arrived at a small habitation or rather a fisherman's hut situated near the place where the canal or bahar yusuf discharges into the lake where only a small rotten boat was seen the hut was inhabited by a few fishermen and a soldier who formerly received the duties on the fish they caught but now the fishermen have only a share of the fish they catch and the remainder is sold at medinet al fayum of which the bashaw receives the profit our guide bespoke a boat which was sent for at some distance up the canal and when it had arrived i never saw anything that could be better compared to old baris or a boat of sharon it was entirely out of shape the outer shell or hulk was composed of rough pieces of wood scarcely joined and fastened by four other pieces wrapped together by four more across which formed the deck 
no tar no pitch either inside or out and the only preventive against the water coming in was a kind of weed moistened which had settled in the joints of the wood having made an agreement with the owner of the boat who might have been named old sharon himself we put on board some provisions and made towards the west where the famous labyrinth is supposed to have been situated the water of the lake was good enough to drink but a little saltish it was only this year that it could be tasted at all owing to the extraordinary overflow of the nile which surmounted all the high lands and in addition to the bar yosif came in such torrents into the lake that it raised the water twelve feet higher than ever it had been remembered by the oldest fishermen among them we advanced with old baris or charon's boat towards the west and at sunset saw the shore quite deserted and nothing to look at but the lake and the mountains on the north side of it old charon the pilot lighted a fire while the others went to fish with a net and soon returned with a supper of fish the land we were now in had anciently been cultivated as there appeared many stumps of palm and other trees nearly petrified i also observed the vine in great plenty the scene here was beautiful the silence of the night the beams of the radiant moon shining on the still water of the lake the solitude of the place the side of our boat a group of fishermen the temple which bears the name of old charon a little way off put me in mind of the lake acheron and the boat baris and the old ferryman of the styx i perceived this was the very spot where the poets originated the fable of the passage of the souls over the river of oblivion nothing could be more pleasing to my imagination than being so near the elysium perhaps on the very elysium itself i thought that the plants which appeared nearly petrified have been the very ones when the souls were enjoying the happiness of their purity i was thus strolling along the banks of the lake in solitary musings not unlike one of these wandering souls waiting its turn to cross the sticks while my old charon with his semi-demons were preparing supper i wish that i had been a poet that i might sing in verse the beautiful ideas and sensations i felt on that occasion i thought that night one of the happiest in my life and myself out of the reach of evil mortals happy in the elysian fields i feared not the malice and treacherous arts of envy jealousy spite revenge nor the thousand other snares of man i nearly forgot i was living and i suppose that had i continued in my ecstasy i should have verified that these waters had the power of oblivion on the second before sunrise we entered the old baris and steered towards the west till we arrived near the end of the lake which according to these fishermen extended further this year than ever they remembered it in consequence of the above extraordinary inundation we landed here and i took two of the boatmen and set off for the temple named kassar el haron about three miles from the lake standing in the midst of the ruins of a town of which there is still a track of the wall to be seen and the foundations of several houses and other small temples there are fragments of columns and blocks of stone of a middling size the temple is in pretty good preservation excepting in the upper part it is of a singular construction and differs somewhat from the egyptian but i believe it has been altered or rather rebuilt 
and divided into various small apartments as may be seen in the plan plate number thirty two there are no hieroglyphics either inside or out and only two figures on the wall of the western side of the upper apartments one of which i took for osiris and the other for jupiter ammon in the front of this temple there is a semicircular pilaster at each side of the door and two pilasters attached to the wall but the exterior workmanship is evidently of a later date than the temple part of the town is covered with sand on the east side of it there is something like a gateway in an octangular form and at a little distance there is a greek chapel elevated on a platform with cellars under it after having taken a proper view of the temple and of the town i went to see the small greek chapel accompanied by the two boatmen and as there was no appearance of any danger i left my gun and pistols in the temple but had nearly suffered for my temerity for just as i was mounting the few steps that led to the platform of the small chapel a large hyena rushed from the apartments beneath the chapel and had i not been on the first step it could not have avoided attacking me as there was no other way by which it could come out the animal stopped three or four yards from me and then turned round as if determined to attack me but it appeared on second thoughts to have relinquished its intent and after having shown me its pretty teeth gave a hideous roar and set off galloping as fast as it could at the moment i regretted i had no arms with me but was happy to see it gone i attributed its flight to the noise made by the two boatmen who being near me thought the hyena would swallow them alive this little chapel was evidently built in a later age than the rest of those works of which but very little now remain on the west of the temple there are parts of other gates connected with the wall i observed several pieces of marble and white granite the granite has given me reason to think that there must have been some building of considerable importance in the town for they must have had more trouble to convey it hence than to any other place in egypt in consequence of the distance but whatever remains of beauty might be seen in this town it does not appear that this was the place of the famous labyrinth nor anything like it for according to herodotus pliny and so forth there is not the smallest appearance which can warrant the supposition that any such edifice was there the labyrinth was a building of three thousand chambers one half above and one half below the construction of such an immense edifice and the enormous quantity of materials which must have been accumulated would have yet left specimens enough to have seen where it had been erected but not the smallest trace of any such thing is anywhere to be seen the town was about a mile in circumference with the temple at its centre so that i could not see how the labyrinth could be placed in this situation i accordingly left the place and on my return towards the lake passed a tract of land which had once been cultivated and saw a great many stumps of plants almost burnt on my arrival at the lake a high wind arose from the southwest which swelled the lake very much drifted the sand in the air and drove our boat on shore at the above place we gathered plenty of wood made a fire and passed the night under shelter of a mat hung over two sticks planted in the ground before morning of the third the wind ceased and the lake soon became smooth we re-embarked and shaped our course towards the north side coastwise the whole day at the foot of the mountain which bounds the lake on that side i perceived nothing worthy of remark 
there are a few spots near the water's edge where great quantities of weeds grow from under the water and great quantities of game are always found among these plants the pelican is as common on this lake as it is on the nile there are many wild ducks and a kind of large snipe towards evening we arrived at the shore opposite to where we embarked and the boatmen made up their minds to cross the lake the next morning and take us back to our former place of embarkation but as i recollected that in some of the descriptions of that lake i had seen a town marked not far from the spot where we then were on the morning of the fourth instead of going on board i took my route towards the mountains the soldier and the boatman ran after me to persuade me there was nothing to be seen there but i told them i must ascend the mountains to see the lake and the whole country round one of them happened to say unguardedly that there was nothing to be seen except a few houses in ruins and a high wall that was enough for me and having secured the man by promises and threats i insisted that he should show me the above place i accordingly set off with my whole crew and had scarcely reached the summit of the lower range of the mountains when i perceived the ruins of a town not far distant on my arrival i found it to be a greek town vide plate twenty three and it cannot be any other than the city of bacchus which i have observed in some of the maps of ancient authors there are a great number of houses half tumbled down and a high wall of sunburnt bricks which encloses the ruins of a temple the houses are not united nor built in any regularity as streets but only divided by narrow lanes not more than three or four feet wide and all built of sunburnt bricks there is a causeway or road made of large stones which runs through the town to the temple which faces the south in the centre of the city i observed several houses or rather cellars underground as they appeared from their tops which were covered with strong pieces of wood over which there were some cane and then above that a layer of bricks on a level with the surface so that one might walk over without perceiving that he was treading on the top of a house as the fishermen had brought their hatchets i caused two or three of these houses to be uncovered after removing the layer of bricks we found a layer of clay then a layer of canes which were nearly burnt and lastly under the canes some rafters of wood forming the ceiling the wood was in good preservation and of a hard quality the inside of the hut or cellar was filled up with rubbish but they had evidently been habitations as we saw a fireplace in every one of them they were not more than ten or twelve feet square and the communication to each house was by a narrow lane not more than three feet wide which was also covered i cannot conceive the reason why these people lived in such places certain it is that they did not live there to be out of the heat on the contrary they must have had all the force of the sun shining upon them without the slightest chance of a breath of wind the houses above ground were constructed in a manner somewhat different from any i had seen before there were few which had a second floor and those which were higher than the rest were very narrow so that they were more like the form of towers than common houses but now there is scarcely one to be seen entire as to the temple it has fallen but appears to have been pretty extensive the blocks of stone are of the largest size some eight and nine feet long 
the ruins are in such confusion that it is impossible to form an idea of its plan or foundation i am almost certain by what i could see that the falling of this temple was caused by violence as it appears to me that it never could have been so dilapidated by the slow hand of time among these blocks i saw the fragments of statues of brechia and other stones of grecian sculpture but no granite and i observed the fragment of one which appeared to me not unlike part of an apollo there were also fragments of lions of grey stone not belonging to these mountains the town from what i could see might have consisted of five hundred houses the largest of which was not more than forty feet square the area of the wall which surrounds the temple is a hundred and fifty feet square thirty feet high and eight feet thick on the north side of this town is a valley which appears to have been once cultivated but at present is covered with sand on inquiry i found this town was known to the arabs of the lake under the name of Denay. we returned to the boat and crossed to the island of el hir which is entirely barren and no trace of any habitation anywhere to be seen we then crossed the lake to the east and saw several fragments of pillars and ruins nearly under water and arrived in the evening at the same shore where we embarked i took up my station for the night to the eastward of the small hut and made an excellent supper of fresh fish and a piece of pelican the soldier who lived there happened to kill one of these birds which was devoured by the fisherman as soon as it was boiled its flesh is not unlike mutton in substance and appearance but it tasted much like game and was upon the whole very tender and pleasant to the palate it must have weighed at least forty pounds the fat was rancid and as yellow as saffron on the morning of the fifth i took the road on the west side of the lake and saw the site of another town named el haman of which nothing now remains but scattered pieces of brick and part of a bath this place is situated full forty feet above the lake and the ground all round was covered with small shells such as cockles small conchilis and others not unlike periwinkles we returned afterwards on the east on the same day and passed several ancient villages built of sunburnt bricks at a place named tirza i observed several blocks of white stone and red granite which evidently must have been taken from edifices of greater magnitude than what had ever stood there reflecting on the description of pliny of the situation of the labyrinth which he says was on the west side of the lake morris i made diligent researches on that subject in particular on the ground where i then stood i could not see the smallest appearance of an edifice either on the ground or any appearance from under it but i observed all through that part of the country a great number of stones and columns of beautiful colours of white marble and of granite i saw the above pieces of antiquity scattered about for the space of several miles some on the road and some in the houses of the arabs and others put to various uses in the erection of huts and so forth i have no doubt that by tracing the source of these materials the seat of the labyrinth could be discovered which must be most magnificent even in its ruined state but i fear it is rather too late for such researches for the cause of its disappearing might be that it was not an edifice of great height and the lower apartments being underground 
it may have been buried by the earth which is yearly brought there by the water of the nile or it is not impossible that the labyrinth stood in such a situation as to be covered entirely by the water as we may see other remains of antiquities on the east side of the lake which are nearly all under water it is certain that the yearly discharge of the nile into the lake brings with it a great quantity of earth or clay and leaves it there consequently the lake must have risen from its original bed and spread so much over the land as to induce one to suppose that the said lake was made for a reservoir to retain the water at high nile and to make a kind of second inundation it is evident that it is made by nature and not by art but that it might have served as a reservoir for the above purpose does not appear to me to be at all impossible this second inundation could not extend out of the fayum the water might be retained in the lake at the time of the high nile by a bar across the canal at the entrance into the lake and at low water it might be let out but the canal must be stopped at the entrance into the fayum on the east otherwise the water would again return into the nile by the said bar yusuf consequently a second inundation could not take place in any other part but the fayum which being surrounded by mountains on the north and high grounds on the other side would form a lake of itself we continued our journey in a direction parallel with the lake through several villages woods of palm and other fruit trees and well-cultivated lands and at sunset arrived at fedman el cunos which means the place of churches it stands on a high mound of earth and rubbish and has evidently been rebuilt on other ruins it is divided into two parts by a small canal from the bar yusuf one side of the town is inhabited by christian copts and the other by mohammedans and though the two religions officiated almost in sight of each other they never interfered on each other's rights the poor copts were destitute of the principal means of educating their children and the only reference they had to the rights of the christian religion was an old book of manuscripts copied from the bible but even this was kept as the only relic they had if by chance i had had an arabic bible or testament i might indeed have become a great man among them and i wonder that the missionaries of the bible society who lately visited egypt omitted this place being a noted christian town but i suppose the magnificent works of old pharaoh made them forget moses his followers and all those who wished to know anything about him but i must do justice to truth a young man of the name of burckhardt cousin to my good friend the celebrated traveller of that name came unprotected into egypt for the purpose of distributing bibles consequently was persecuted and obliged to fly in great haste he went into syria but with over fatigue or perhaps from the effects of the climate he was unable to proceed higher than aleppo where he died and i am sorry to say that others who succeeded him and went up the nile with protection and all their leisure made their journey to very little purpose the tradition of the town of fedman el hanizer is that in ancient times there were on that spot three hundred churches 
which were allowed to fall in ruins by the old inhabitants of the place and that when the mohammedans succeeded to the country they built the present town on these very three hundred churches for which reason the town is named fidman of the churches the story is somewhat strange and may afford grounds for a modern traveller to place the egyptian labyrinth in this spot for by conceiving that the three hundred churches were the three hundred cellars of the labyrinth as mentioned by herodotus or by supposing that the father of history meant to say three hundred instead of three thousand the above churches could have been nothing less than the old egyptian labyrinth itself all this might pass off well enough among the wanderers but unfortunately there is proof to the contrary which will do away with any such supposition the above branch of the bar yusuf passes through the town cut not above two centuries ago and none of the said churches appeared in the progress of the excavation through the town which must have been the case had it been built on the said three hundred churches however i must conclude that notwithstanding the little probability there is of the labyrinth being in this place i cannot help repeating my observation that it must have been at no great distance from the lake as the great quantity of materials which is scattered about the country has evidently belonged to some extensive and splendid building we left fidman on the sixth and after traversing a most beautiful country arrived at night at medinet el fayum End of part 24